Welcome to the Tax Factor, the top 20 business and investment podcast from Blick Rothenberg, the tax, accounting, and business advisory firm. This week with Heather Self, Melissa Thomas, and Nimesh Sharp. Hello, I'm Heather Self. Welcome to The Tax Factor, the top tax podcast that keeps you up to date on all the latest tax news and updates. It's nearly the most exciting day of the year for those of us who work in tax. It'll be budget day soon. Perhaps I'm overselling it, but this is the time of year where people actually talk to accountants at parties, as everyone is interested in what we think might could or should happen in the budget. So you won't be surprised to hear that that's the topic for our podcast this week. I'm delighted to be joined by a new voice to the Tax Factor, Melissa Thomas. Melissa, welcome to the Tax Factor. Thank you, Heather. I'm delighted to be here and to follow in such illustrious footsteps. Let's start off with our CEO, Nimesh Shah, for his thoughts on what the budget might hold. Thanks, Heather. If I was a betting man, which I'm definitely not, I expect Jeremy Hunt to play it safe again. A 2% basic rate income tax cut seems to be the most favoured option and would cost the Treasury an eye-watering £13 So the chance of replacing all of his fiscal headroom chips on this single measure, leaving little room for manoeuvre to address the other fundamental flaws in our personal tax system. A further or more likely alternative income tax giveaway would be to increase the higher rate threshold to 60,000. That would be a saving of up to £2,000. Alongside that, the government may want to signpost a future increase to the higher rate threshold to the magical number of 100,000 by the end of the next parliament if the Conservatives are re-elected. It seems highly unlikely that there'll be any changes to inheritance tax, apparently Britain's most hated tax. Abolishing IHT was strongly trailed before the autumn statement, but the plans were firmly shelled and there's been little mention since. The government may want to use the budget to pre-announce a future cut to IHT again if they are re-elected and halving the headline rate to 20% has been rumoured. Now, tactically, the Chancellor might want to use the budget statement to announce a consultation review of the non-DOM tax regime as a pre-emptive action to take the sting out of one of Labour's key tax pledges to abolish the non-DOM regime completely. Although I think it's highly unlikely Jeremy Hunt could announce a shortening of the period that a non-DOM can benefit the regime from the current 15 years to say 10 years. But what should a tax reforming chancellor actually do? So this is my wish list. Abolish the high income child benefit charge where a family starts to lose their entitlement to child benefit when one of the couple earns more than 50,000. Remove the 100,000 cliff edge where you start to lose your entitlement to tax-free childcare. Reinstate the personal allowance for everyone and remove that horrible 62% effective rate of tax on earnings between 100,000 and 125,140 pounds. Abolish the tapered 60,000 pensions annual allowance when you have a adjusted income of more than 260,000. And most importantly, it's a horrible tax measure, cancel the frozen tax allowances and threshold and enshrine in legislation that these will increase in line annually with inflation. But that's my wish list. I doubt I'm going to be that lucky. I expect another very defensive budget statement from the Sunak Hunt regime and one headline grammar, which unfortunately fails to address the real challenges of the UK's tax system. Well, I don't know about you, Melissa. I thought Nimesh made some good points, but there's one or two things perhaps we might debate as to whether we agree with them or not. He started off by mentioning the possibility of a, a two-penny cut in income tax, and I think he was sceptical about whether that would happen. I'm ex- extremely sceptical. I just can't see the Chancellor spending any mythical headroom on cutting income tax. However, there was a report this week in the Times that we might get a cut 
in national insurance contributions instead. And I think that's a bit more likely. The big advantage of it is timing. As we saw in the autumn statement, they can introduce a national insurance cut more quickly than a pay-as-you-earn cut. So people potentially would see it in their pay packets before the election. And if we do get an election in May, it's worth remembering that there wouldn't be time for a full finance bill to be passed. So what we might get from the Chancellor next week is a wish list of all the things he would do if only he had more time. What do you think might be in there, Melissa? Perhaps did uh, Nimesh say anything about fuel duty? I don't think he did. Well, a forecourt favourite of mine, fuel duty, which is due to go up by 5p on the 23rd of March, a reversal of the temporary discount and to further increase by an inflation link rise in August. In my view, both are unlikely. We haven't seen a fuel duty increase since 2011. Staying on a motoring theme, isn't it time electric cars started paying excise taxes? As it currently stands, fully electric cars are exempt from road tax, which given there are over one million of them creating wear and tear on our roadways as of the beginning of this year, I feel this is an area the government could revisit. Plans are afoot to reverse this and introduce some level of road taxes from April 2025. And personally, I feel this is overdue. I think it's interesting. Fuel duty has been a big contribution to government revenues. But as you say, since 2011, they've been running scared of increasing it. And forecourt prices have actually dropped by about 50 pence since this time last year. So it wouldn't surprise me logically to see an increase, but I really think the Chancellor will be too scared. And yet, as we gradually switch to electric cars, he's going to have to get the money from somewhere. Another area is capital gains tax. Robert, on last week's podcast, discussed politicians' tax returns, and they commented that both Sunak and Starmer had benefited from the fact that CGT is at a lower rate than income tax. Now, it might be logical to increase the rate, but I really can't see a Conservative government doing it, especially this close to an election. It's perhaps something to look out for next year. There was an interesting report by some academics from the London School of Economics and Warwick University, and they really highlighted that CGT is very concentrated in certain rich areas of the country. It only affects about 0.3% of the population, and The Guardian commented that the residents of Notting Hill pay more capital gains tax than people in three major cities combined. So it's a really interesting tax if we'd get a chancellor who actually looks at the bigger picture in the future. Another area where we're expecting some changes under Labour is VAT, I think, Melissa, isn't it? Yes, indeed, Heather. If there is successful in the forthcoming general election, Labour are proposing to levy VAT on private school fees and remove relief from business rates. What interested me is that recent IFS research suggests that this will not lead to a mass exodus from private schools. The study reports they anticipate a reduction of up to 7% of pupils moving out of the private and into the state sector as a result, whilst raising an estimated net amount of around 1 billion of tax revenues. We continue to see many campaigns remove VAT from various items, the latest one being loo roll. I can't help but think these ad hoc adjustments to what is already a complicated set of rules further compounds the complexities of our VAT system. I wonder whether it might be better to simplify things by applying standard rate of VAT across more items, withdrawing the nil rate currently applied, and to use the increased receipts to support the NHS or people in real need. There was an interesting article in The Guardian on that topic this week, which highlighted that savings when items are reclassified into the zero VAT rate are often retained by the retailers and not actually passed on to the end consumer. Absolutely. I think that was the case with the the infamous tampon tax uh, not so long ago. It really does just make the system more complicated. I think you and I would have some very similar measures as Chancellor
Ursula, Melissa, but I'm not sure either of us would last very long politically. Robert said last week, and I think Nimesh mentioned as well, one really irritating quirk of the tax system is the high income child benefit charge, which withdraws child benefit once one member of a couple earns more than 50000 This is one of the, the cliff edges in the tax system. There's another really annoying one at 100000 And while those are relatively high amounts of earnings, they're affecting more and more people, particularly as inflation erodes those limits. So the Chancellor has said he'd quite like to abolish the high income child benefit charge, which would be great. But I think that will cost him about $1.3 billion. I really can't see him finding that much money down the sofa just now. I just wonder whether he might use the opportunity to increase that limit, perhaps from 50000 to 60000 or even 70000 It's been the same since it was first introduced 10 years ago. Another point which occurs to me, and I haven't seen much comment on this, is that those who are being hit by the high income child benefit charge may well also be those who are repaying student loans. My son's 30, so I happen to know that he's the first generation that paid the full £9,000 of student fees. So people coming into their 30s, perhaps getting more senior jobs, are potentially being hit by the high income child benefit charge, but also paying 9% on repaying their student loans. So their effective tax rate, once you take income tax plus national insurance, plus repaying student loans, it's getting quite high. And that's a population that hasn't had much attention yet, and I think will become increasingly important over the next few years. So I think, Melissa, we probably broadly agree with Nimesh that this will be quite a cautious budget. There have been reports in the press this week that the Chancellor perhaps hasn't got as much headroom as he would like. And indeed, the headroom that he's got is perhaps illusory because if he gives money away in tax reductions, he's not going to have as much to support spending on the NHS, education, the prison service, local councils who seem to be going bust at an alarming rate. So I think the government finances are pretty tight this time round. Anything you think about sort of the overall picture? No, Heather, I think I think I very much agree with you and certainly very little wiggle room for the Chancellor here. I mean, chancellors always like to pull at least one rabbit out of the hat. So I'm sure there'll be some little sweetener which they think will help them in the forthcoming election. And of course, the interesting question is just when is that election going to be? What would your prediction be, Melissa? Do you think we're going for May or November or even January? Difficult one to um, to put a bet on. I would say if, if I were placing a bet, I would go for the end of quarter three, so September, November time. I personally, I still wonder whether he will just cut and run and go for May, because the way that the recent by-elections have gone, you can't help thinking that the local elections at the beginning of May are going to be a disaster. And if they've then got to prepare for an election, having had a really bad set of local election results, and perhaps with a few more councils going bust, I can't see it getting better. I can't help wondering whether Sunak's going to decide he's had enough and just wants to go off and join a tech firm in California instead. (laughs) And finally, Melissa, we've talked a lot about the budget. But is there anything in your own area of international tax you'd like to mention this week? Well, yeah, picking up on um, Sunak's possible um, immigration to, to California. One interesting area for me and my work supporting North American groups expanding into the UK has been the increase in market presence of employers of record. These are third party organisations that are legally responsible for employment matters on behalf of an employer, their client. So the employees perform their work for their employer, while the employer of record handles the administration 
administrative and legal responsibilities associated with employing that team. From a payroll tax collection and reporting perspective, this arrangement is generally compliant. From a corporation tax perspective, however, many of us in the profession are concerned that the appropriate wider tax and accounting reporting requirements are not completely understood. It's a constantly evolving area, supporting many groups who are offering remote and multi-jurisdictional working post-pandemic, and one I anticipate could come under increased scrutiny in coming years. That sounds like a great topic for a future podcast, Melissa. Well, that's about all we have time for today. I'll be back next week with Nimesh and our Tax Factor Budget Special. As soon as the Chancellor sits down, we'll be looking at the headlines and the detail of the budget. And really good news, we'll make the podcast available a day earlier than usual on Thursday the 7th of March. You can find this podcast and all our podcasts on the Blick Rothenberg website or wherever you get your podcasts. It's well worth subscribing to so you don't miss it. Blick Rothenberg also has a comprehensive budget hub, which is updated with insights and analysis on the day and features our famous tax calculator so you can see if you are better or worse off. Just visit the Blick Rothenberg website and follow the links on the homepage. Thanks very much to Melissa for joining me this week and I look forward to seeing you again soon. I'm Heather Self and until next week, thanks for listening and goodbye. That's the Tax Factor. We'd like to thank you for making us one of the UK's top 20 podcasts. Find all our previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And join us again next time on The Tax Factor.